from Thomas Edison State University. This is Edison Soundstage. Welcome. Hi, my name is Ann Prime Monahan. I'm the Associate Dean of the John S. Watson School of Public Service, located at the Thomas Edison State University here in Trenton, New Jersey. Today, I'd like to welcome you to the Edison Soundstage, the Public Service Leadership Studio. Um, my colleagues today that are joining me are Matt Hug and Lee Clark. Matt, joining us today, is one of our mentors and long-serving curriculum committee members, as well as an admissions committee member. He has served as a mentor for us, facilitating a number of our courses, one of them being practical grant writing. Lee is the funding and information business librarian, and she'll clean up that title when she introduces herself. <laughs> um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be a nonprofit and looking for funding, particularly in this increasingly challenging environment. It was already an issue, and then the pandemic came. We're all looking for ways to help our nonprofits survive and grow. Matt, if you would just take a moment and introduce yourself, because I'm sure there are more and exciting things you'd want to share with our audience today about your background. Well, thank you, Anne. Uh, yeah, I am uh, head of an organization, a company called Nonprofit.Courses, uh, more than 3,500 uh, videos, most of them free, uh, to uh, nonprofits around the world. And yet my background is in charitable gift fundraising. Uh, for about 30 years or so, I worked with the uh, colleges and universities and since 2005 consulting with nonprofits of all different kinds in fundraising, marketing, and uh, management issues. So uh, yeah, and, and of course, working with Thomas Edison State University in a variety of capacities, which is always fun. Thank you, Matt. And Lee, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little soundbite about yourself as well, that would be great. Sure, thank you, Anne. Um, my name is Lee Clark. I am the Business and Funding Information Librarian at the New Jersey State Library Information Center. I work within the Reference Department um, and answer questions about business research, nonprofit research, and how to use our resources at the State Library to look for funding for nonprofits and individuals in the community in New Jersey and the surrounding areas. Um, and I work as the coordinator with our Funding Information Center which partners with Candid. You might know them better as the Foundation Center. They merged with GuideStar a couple of years ago and became Candid. And through that partnership, we provide free access to their grantmaker databases, which I'll talk a little bit about later. All righty, thank you so very much. Um, and it is also important to note that the New Jersey State Library and Thomas Edison are affiliates, and we are so proud to have them in our corner I would really like to highlight the strengths and the resources that they bring both for our students in university, but for the community at large as well. Today, as I had mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit about how nonprofits may look to um, set up avenues of, of receiving resources they may not have known were out there or different um, ways that they can access the library to utilize the resources that the library has to offer. And maybe what we can start about talking about first off, Lee, I had an opportunity to hear your colleagues talk about um, some partnerships that had come forth um, in your library in terms of helping folks attach 
uh, find different resources for funding, particularly nonprofits. And maybe if you could share a little bit about how the nonprofits can come to the library and be um, assisted in terms of finding funding, that would be great. Well, in a typical situation outside of COVID-19, they could come to the library. Unfortunately, we've been closed for a year now because of COVID-19. So we've been moving a lot of our, um, our resources and a lot of the other network partners um, with Candid have been moving things to virtual. Um, normally we provide on-site access to the Foundation Directory Online Professional, which is a database that um, the Foundation Center, but now Candid provides. Uh, to allow nonprofits to research um, mostly private foundation funders. Um, there are some corporate foundations and some community foundations and public charities in the database as well. Um, but we're not open, so we can't provide that on-site access right now. Luckily for us, Candid has allowed us to provide remote access to foundation directory online essential. So it's a slightly less robust version of FDO professional. And I'm gonna say FDO, that's Foundation Directory Online. It's just a mouthful. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And it actually just changed today. So starting today, the Foundation Directory Online Essential is available for a 24 hour period once a month. And that's a new change that starts today. Um, before it was unrestricted, but since the pandemic is changing constantly and some libraries are open, opening up, other libraries are not like us. Um, they wanted a more structured way that people could access that database. But it's still remotely accessible. Anybody can access and request access through us or one of the other uh, libraries that provide services throughout the state and throughout the country. There are seven currently in New Jersey that provide um, the FIN or Funding Information Network services that Candid um, has. So that's the Foundation Directory Online Professional, FDO Essential, which is remotely, and there's another database called Grants to Individuals. So those are foundation grants for individuals, artists, uh, musicians, students, fellowships, doctorate programs, stuff like that. So if, if they were to come to you and utilize one of these wonderful online databases to find funding sources, what actually are they gonna walk away with? Well, what the databases do is they show past giving of funders so they can see, will this funder fund in the area that I, I'm hoping to serve? So is it the arts, is it healthcare? Um, am I trying to provide funding for senior, senior, seniors in New Jersey? Does this funder fund the, that area? So they can see based on their past giving record coming from um, the publications that they provide in their annual reports and their 990 tax forms that they have to submit to the IRS. Um, are they a good fit for my organization? Do my, does my mission match up with their mission as a, because they are nonprofits too, the private foundations. So they have missions that they have to fulfill. So you wanna make sure you find a good funding match between your organization that you need funding for and the funder themselves. And that database helps, helps people. And what they can do is they can find grant makers download those profiles and have them for later so they can continue their prospect research outside of the library. And Will it also list the active grants that those organizations have open? Sometimes, um, not all funders will post RFPs. It would, you know, they'll just have a funding cycle where they, you submit a, a proposal. Um, but now actually it's brand new in the database is they are posting any active RFPs that they find 
but it's not a comprehensive. Um, and, well, Matt, I, oh, go ahead. Hey, I mean, this is this is huge for a bunch of reasons. I, one of the things that, uh, and, and Lee, I'm really glad you brought up mission match because that's one of the issues that a lot of nonprofits and a lot of people just generally don't quite get is that these organizations, these funders are in effect people, right? I mean, people run them. Um, and looking at it from their point of view is, is essential because they're not just giving money away. They have a specific mission just like the nonprofit does and being able to match those really increases your chance of funding. Uh, and it's more, and honestly, the, the other big issue is geography because a lot of organizations, uh, a lot of uh, funders will only fund within a certain geographic area. So being able to parse down where you're going to offer your programs, what mission you, you have, does that match their mission, uh, really makes a big difference. Uh, one of the things that funders tell me is that their biggest frustration is getting applications from organizations that have nothing to do with what they do. It just, they'll get hundreds, you know, they, uh, they're, they're going to give out X number of dollars. And yet the, the pool that comes in is huge because folks aren't going through and saying, gee, does that match? They just kind of scatter shot out there and, and it clogs up the works. It really, uh, it makes it frustrating, frustrating on all ends. Yeah, I and if, imagine. Yeah. Go ahead, if you're applying for someone that doesn't fund in your area, it's a waste of your time too. Yeah. So it's it's very important to find that targeted match between the funder and your organization. Yeah, exactly. I hear that too. So as a nonprofit, one of the first rules, if you're looking for money, make sure mission, missions match. Yep, exactly. Um, Matt, maybe you could share with us what do you think the biggest hurdles are right now in terms of nonprofits um, finding and receiving funding? Well, you know, in some respects, they're not much different than any other time. And, and not to um, uh, pour water on a, a conversation that's just starting about grant funding, because I think that's important. But if you go look at the numbers, 70% uh, more or less of total funding in the United States every year for years and years has come from individuals. And so a lot of uh, organizations okay. go for really the, the comfort ask, which is to ask um, uh, a, a foundation funder where they can identify it. And, you know, and I always kind of uh, think of it as geek to geek. So you have a mission, they have a mission, you're, you're comfortable talking about that. You're, it's not your um, uh, money, it's not their money, right? Because a funder may not be, it might be an organization that's funding it, right? And so it's comfortable to talk to somebody whose money isn't uh, theirs, you know? And, and that relationship um, is different, but they're overlooking where most of the money comes from, which is real live people. And then if you throw in bequests, you know, uh, estate gifts, and you throw in businesses controlled by individuals and foundations controlled by individuals, now that number really starts creeping up toward 90%. So while a lot of people are looking at this, you know, grant proposals, which is a good legitimate place to get funding, they're missing maybe 90% of the money that's out there. Now, 
then the question becomes, well, how do you, you know, it's, I'll put on my professor Matt hat here a little bit, right? And say <laughs> it's CIA, right? So capacity interest access. And you have to have, uh, the donor has to have the capacity to make the gift that you're asking. Uh, they have to have interest or mission match, like we talked about, right? Whether that's personal or whether that's organizational. And you have to be able to get to them. And too many people focus on capacity when really interest is the door in. Because interest is where somebody, if you know, if they love you, if they really think your mission is great, they're going to make a gift at a higher proportion than you might expect. If they really are, eh, you know, you're not getting money or you're going to get this little, you know, tiny gift and they're going to tell you to go away. So interest is where you start. And, and then you figure out, okay, so can I get access to them? Do they have the capacity to make the gift? Can I get to them somehow? So in this environment, access is the big problem. Uh, because we're in a situation where, you know, you, people, it, we could already filter, right? We know from years gone by how, how voice, you know, answering machines, now voicemail and all that kind of led a filter cycle going out. And uh, now being able to connect with people is more difficult than ever before. So you have to use, it's, you have to get into your network and find out who you know, whether it's on your board, your staff, your volunteers, that know people who can help you that you've identified an interest in. So it's interesting. One of the notes I had made for myself was I wondered if COVID had limited our access in terms of networking. And, and, and you mentioned that might be a challenge, but I'm also wondering if given the um, the change in many of our institutions infrastructure in terms of everybody working remotely, if there hasn't also been um, a benefit to that? Has there been a benefit to um, COVID asking us to rethink how we're networking, how we're getting data, how we're retrieving data? Any, any comments, Lee or Matt? Well, it certainly made it less expensive. I mean, you don't have to travel somewhere to see somebody so much. You know, you can say, well, let's have a Zoom call or whatever, but the people you're talking to have to be somewhat technologically adept at that. And that's not always the case with the folks who uh, have means, you know, somebody who's older may not have that ability. You might be using the phone more than, uh, than a face-to-face. -face. And I mean, that's okay, but it's, uh, it's not the same. Anna-Lee, what do you think? Yeah, from my personal experience, I belong to a, a several membership nonprofits and just from being in them, we've lost some members because they don't have that technology. Um, they're not comfortable with using it, but we've also gained some new members because they're out of state. They couldn't travel normally to our physical meetings, but now they can connect virtually. So they're more interested and they're engaging with our, um, what we do in the nonprofit and they're paid for membership. So I mean, the nonprofit is getting that membership money. That, that's um, so. the experience I have with the, I, I help with a, a group of uh, people who uh, work with folks in trans job transitions. And specifically, I work with a group that, of people who are interested in nonprofits. We used to meet in a coffee shop just down the way here. There's no way that somebody from Pittsburgh who was on our last call was going to come to this coffee shop in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, 
yeah, I mean, you're you're right on spot there. Yeah, so it's it's a balancing act, and I don't think virtual programming is going away. Um, just from a library perspective, we've seen that people will continue to need it, continue to want it after everything starts to open back up again. So it's going to be finding that balance between how much physical events, programs that we have, and the virtual as well, and how we can balance those two to get the engagement that we want. Well, and, and the, the personal contact, I think, will become more special. And, and looping this back to fundraising, I think that's, that's the important part, is that it's going to become a special thing to have a foundation uh, representative visit your facility, to, to be able to go and actually meet face-to-face -face with a donor. Um, the other thing, too, to keep in mind, and, and less with foundations, more with individuals, is uh, that you always want to care for the donor. And so if you're dealing with people who are older or have other special circumstances, right, you're, you're being able to show that, that you're, you maybe aren't going to schedule a visit because you're concerned for their safety. You know, th those are important things to, to bring up and to keep in mind as you're working with folks. Um. So I have another question for you. I have limited background, though I'll admit it, in terms of fundraising, grant writing, and those sorts of things. Done it, haven't really done a lot of it. But one of the things I've noticed, um, and I don't know if it's specific to higher education, I doubt though, is that sometimes you need to collaborate. That maybe you bring something specific to the table that um, is needed, but maybe you can't bring another portion of it. Or the RFP indicates clearly that you need someone in business, someone in education, and those sorts of things to work collaboratively. How is that working right now? If you have a small nonprofit that is maybe just starting to venture into looking at receiving funding, they may not have that same network. Where would they look? How would they go about um, finding folks to collaborate and maybe I'm off, but I, I don't know that I am in terms of the need for collaboration on some of the grants. Um, who wants to start? <laughs> Lee, go ahead. I got some okay. um, Collaboration and working together is something that a lot of foundations are looking for. Some require that those matching contributions um, and kind of what Matt was saying, the matching contributions, um, which is a collaboration in funding, not a collaboration in actually executing the, the grant. But it shows that you have a diverse revenue stream that you're pulling from those individual donors that you're, you have you have more than one revenue that you're drawing from. You're not just dependent on that grant. So a lot of a lot of government grants require that. Um, I'm seeing that more and more is that matching requirement. And then also there is that requirement for collaboration. Um, the more that you can reduce the redundance that the, the funders have to pay out two different organizations that are doing exactly the same work, if they can work together and get that funding and, and it's, a better, uh, it's a better investment for them on their part. Um, finding the collaboration can be tricky, especially for newer nonprofits, um, but it's really important that you look at your network within your community and see who's doing what, because you don't wanna repeat that same same service. If one person is providing that service for 30 years, they're doing it great, how can you work with them to make their service better because you have that same passion, that same mission? Um, so, so looking in your network, we, we help people at the library a lot um, doing market research, 
and business research. Um, market research is not just for for-profit businesses. You want to make sure that as you go into the starting a nonprofit or you're beginning a nonprofit, that you're aware of what's going on in your community and in the sector that you are serving. Um, so you don't have that redundance and you're not competing with a nonprofit that's already existing there for funding. Uh, so if I may, uh, amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, that you took the word. I, I was writing down market research, as you said, market research. <laughs> and really, you need to do that uh, uh, anyhow. I mean, this is really important to do, to know who, uh, and you know, they're, they're not necessarily head-to-head -head competitors. You might offer that same service in this geographic area they offer in that geographic area. So don't be afraid to, to make those connections. Um, the other thing that I would say is take full advantage of LinkedIn. I, LinkedIn is a really good resource to go seek out people who uh, are doing similar things, who are doing different things, you know, you don't want to find vendors, whatever, but uh, that's, uh, that's really good. Now, there are some practical issues with collaboration. It sounds good, and I think everybody wants to see folks kind of doing things together, um, but uh, the, there's like, if, if two businesses get together and do a serious collaboration on something, they're going to form an LLC or some third party entity out there to pull off that collaboration. Um, that when you see nonprofits collaborating, they don't necessarily have that option or don't exercise that option. And what I've found at least in past experience with this is that one entity will get the money and then farm the money out to the other. The, that's fine in terms of moving money, but what that also means is that that one entity kind of gets credit for this somehow. It's more valued in that organization to be the primary uh, receiver of that money than to be the secondary receiver of the money. And uh, so you have to work through egos, you have to work through accounting and all that. Um, and, and also, honestly, just gifts processing uh, kind of work to account for that. Uh, so um, it, it, the, the underlying uh, mechanics may not be as, uh, as uplifting <laughs> as the actual collaboration itself or what's getting done on the ground. Um, so it can, there can be issues that way. But yeah, uh, the um, uh, being able to, well, I think it's a, really the, the best thing to do is to find your competitors and collaborators ahead of time before an opportunity comes up. I mean, if you have money in hand, nobody's going to turn around and say, oh, I don't want to collaborate with you. But if you're looking for money or if you are um, uh, see an organization and say, hey, I want to apply for this and, and you guys can be my client, if they don't already know you, um, you know, that, that's an issue. And, and it really comes down to personal relationships. I mean, you want your organization wants to have a good reputation, but you need to have a good personal relationship with the people who can help facilitate that. That's, uh, that's really important. But people are open to that, you know? Uh, I don't know, Leah, your experience, but I find that in nonprofits generally, folks are, uh, you know, want to connect, collab uh, informally collaborate, talk, share information. 
Yeah. I mean, at our programming at the library, the best part is when the nonprofits can talk to each other and see what each other is doing. I've heard from a lot of them and through our surveys and things that we've done is they want more opportunities to come together and talk about what they're doing in the community to form those relationships. Yep. Um, there are community organizations and in, informal networking groups uh, within different communities. So if you're a nonprofit and you can uh, join one of those groups, I go to the Trenton Area Stakeholders Meeting in Mercer County all the time, and it is a great event. Unfortunately, it's not in person right now, but <laughs> where nonprofits can come together and talk about the issues that are facing Trenton, talk about the resources that they have to, to help those issues and how they can work together to do it. So it's and, a really great opportunity to collaborate. And you actually bring up a good point about professional associations generally. Uh, every region of the country has an, uh, an association of fundraising professionals chapter, AFP chapter. Uh, there are um, there are subgroups within fundraising, like uh, for research, APRA. Right, uh, APRA is uh, the um, the folks who probably have degrees like you do, Lee, except they work for universities or or hospitals or whatever and uh, do prospect research specifically for those organizations. Or there are some people uh, who are APRA members who are independent prospect research consultants. Um, and then, I mean, we could get into like hospitals have AHP, uh, universities have CASE, um, CASE.org. Um, there's uh, subgroups based on faith. There's subgroups uh, like uh, National Catholic Development Conference, I think it's called. Lutherans have one, the Mennonites have one. Um, there's uh, a lot of associations, you know, depending on which way you cut your uh, the pie here, to um, to help network among people who are in the fundraising business. As amazing as it may seem to you, we actually have spent a good number of moments talking through um, maybe just scratching the surface of this topic area. And before we wrap up, I'm wondering if each of you might not have one or two words of wisdoms for anybody working in a nonprofit right now in, um, that's beyond the scope of what we've already touched upon. And uh, whoever wants to go first, <laughs> jump in. Matt, go, go ahead. ahead. I'll let you go. <laughs> <Give it to laughs> Matt. <laughs> Well, my uh, two things. Um, one is uh, now is a really good time to get out and network. That sounds counterintuitive, but uh, you know, folks are a little bit starved for human contact. <laughs> and so being able to reach out to somebody and say, hey, why don't we talk or whatever, you know, just, uh, I, I, mean, I think that's, that's still, that's good anytime, but uh, get out, you know, work, get your LinkedIn profile set up, uh, see who's out there who does things like you, connect with them. I think that's really important. Uh, the other is, uh, you know, I'm a big education advocate. That's why I have my, you know, nonprofit.courses, right? Um, go use now is a good time to, let's see, podcasts, videos, and all that. Um, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll say that I'm trying to advertise here, but I got a lot of them on my site, and there's uh, a lot of them all over you can find uh, to uh, keep up with what's new because people, the things, it's interesting. The technology evolves, but the basics stay the same. So we might have a new way of doing something, 
But when it comes down to like the fundamentals of peer-to-peer -peer were worked out years ago when people went uh, and left notes that helped the Red Cross Society uh, among all their neighbors, right? It's just that now we've accelerated that in terms of being online. So uh, it's good to get to the basics and then also get those cutting edge skills. Lee, anything to add there? Yeah, I, I agree with Matt on the professional development. There are so many webinars, courses, and most, a lot of them are free. So most take advantage of that while you have the time, if you're working at home, even yeah. if you're not, it's, it's amazing what's out there. Um, also, as Matt was saying, make sure you're going out and networking, build those relationships, not only within the, the nonprofit community that you have, but also connect to your donors, get that mm -hmm. message out, tell your story, what's happening. Yes, maybe your services have changed, during COVID-19, but communicate that to your donors. Make sure you have an active presence online because a lot of your donors may be online. So make sure you're targeting uh, your message to where your donors are and where the funders may be looking. So you want to make sure you're transparent in what's happening, even if it's a little different this past year, um, because that'll it, it'll set you up for um, better success as things start to normalize a little bit in the, the funding community. Um, also, make sure that you're taking advantage of the resources that you have in your community, including what's at the library. I'm just gonna throw that pitch out there right there um, because there are free resources through the, the funding information network and just online. I'll, I'll, there's a lot of data out there, a lot of reports. So make sure you're staying up to date on what's happening, especially now with COVID-19 and as things are changing. And if, and if someone should find their way to New Jersey State Library, which I encourage, um, y'all will be there to help them out, right? They're not going to be left yes. in the wind. <laughs> well, our physical location is closed. We are still open to help you. And I, I help uh, nonprofits on a regular basis access the databases that we have. We do online classes. We have one coming up uh, the end of next month on how to use the databases. So it's free. Anybody can register. Um, so I encourage you to come check out our website. Um, and I can give you the website to our funding information center if you'd like. Um, Great. We'll hopefully post that at the bottom of our podcast. And um, I will share that with my students as well. I am so thankful for both of you to share your time with me this morning and with our greater listening and viewing audience. And I hope that this is an opportunity to maybe come up with another conversation in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Take yep. care.